the episode that you guys are about to watch has been requested months on months on months. Like, bring back Sam Partita. Bring back, bring Sam, back Sam. Bring back Sam. Like, oh my gosh, that's all we were fucking hearing yeah. for the past couple months. Every the, podcast in the comments. The first time that we brought her on, you guys absolutely fell in love with her. She was so open and vulnerable about her anxiety and depression that she was going through at the mm -hmm. time. She yep. was battling through it. She was uh, really struggling with uh, mental health. And, uh, you know, she was very vulnerable about it. And, yeah. Yeah, you just copied exactly what I said. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you guys, a lot of people related to her in the comments. And unfortunately, we couldn't get her back on at the time. She was going through a lot of stuff, but we were able to get her back this time. And we thought it was a perfect combination to bring back Sam Zia, another person that you guys absolutely love. He is a licensed therapist. And he came on to share his insight of what he's currently learning because he's going back to school mm -hmm. to learn more about anxiety and the effects that it has on you in a relationship. Mm -hmm. So he came on. Shared a lot of his insight. This was just a very informative conversation. I think you guys are going to love it. Let us know in the comments if you guys enjoyed this because it is for sure the easiest way for us to know that you guys are enjoying these type of podcasts. Yeah. Welcome back to the Sweet Talks podcast. Today, we do not only have one, but we have two Sams here. <laughs> we got Sam Zia and Sam Partito. Welcome. Welcome, guys. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah, both of them returning today. We had Sam Sam Partita a long time ago. We had Zamzia just recently, and you guys both killed it. But a lot of people wanted to know your perspective on things and some more of your perspective on things. <laughs> cool. So okay. that's why we're here Sam, today. Do, do you know his background, like what he does for a living? Um, I I listen to some of the podcasts. Okay, so, so. you know how he's like a marriage counselor and shit. Okay, marriage counselor. I know it's like something within yeah. like the or mar is it marriage, marriage counselor or marriage therapist? Marriage or? and family therapist. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he knows his shit. Okay, yeah. Been I to school. He's still going to school. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. What are you going back to school for uh, uh, again? PhD in human sexuality. Mm -hmm. So what exactly is that? Like human sexuality? Literally everything. Like everything about sex or everything about? Uh, everything about sex, sexuality, and how it ties into society and how uh, both sides feed each other. Uh, just historically uh, you you really got to know a lot about history and a lot about cultures and sociology and all that stuff uh uh, uh there's a difference between like a clinical sexology and that's like one-on-one -on -one sex therapy counseling there's a doctorate for that also around mm -hmm. but this one's more of just like the philosophy of sex and sexuality damn, <laughs> damn. yeah he was yeah, telling us too that stuff. you're you were learning a lot more about like anxiety and sexual anxiety and stuff like that oh yeah uh just how much of human anxiety is tied into the pursuit of getting and then planning around having sex, you know, uh, from financial issues. A lot of people will go out of their way to make sure they have enough money to have the big car, the big house and everything so that they can get the kind of person that they want to spend the rest of their life with. And if they can't quite get that, then they're going to have a lot of anxiety about it. Anxiety about sex and sexuality is huge yeah huge so going based off of that do you think that guys experience more anxiety than girls since usually it's the guys trying to impress and catch the girls it's both ways really i mean look at how much time a lot of women spend on makeup and everything like that it that a lot of it tech you know kind of ties into sex and sexuality the amount of uh well, I got to look this good. Not a lot of times they do it specifically to make themselves feel good, but in comparison to what or to who? Yeah. So that's the thing. A lot of it is on both ends. It depends on how each individual approaches it. But there are guys out there that spend their entire lives 
trying to get it and doing what and saying whatever it takes to get there, even if they're not representing themselves honestly. Is that something you think you go through? Um, I used to, I feel like, um, until I kind of hit this whole point in life where I just wanted to um, just kind of be content, whether, you know, not trying to impress somebody else. I realized there was a lot of things that I lacked that I would try to get um, from another person, which is like you said, mm-hmm. like um, whether, I mean, a lot of girls do do it for like, you know, themselves. But I really think it does really come down to the person like you were saying. But I also think it comes out of like a lack, like you need to fill it with something, Mm -hmm. which is why we often try to get that approval from somebody else sometimes. Uh So when you say that girls do it for themselves, like do what? Like, um, well, like getting ready, you know what I mean? Trying to look your best. You know, most times it's, it is for yourself. I mean, a lot of times like, oh, like you're dressed. Type of, I, I, I don't, don't I don't know serious. about, yeah, it's because I don't know about that. I feel like. So you think that everything that like a girl like would do for herself is for strictly for like the no, male? No, I don't, I don't think it's, it's strictly for the male. I do think like, so, so you're telling me that if there was no guys on earth and if it was just girls that most, like all the girls that are doing makeup right now that they would still do their makeup and they would still get BBLs. They would still get boob oh. jobs. Okay, so yeah, so that's that's different. I'm saying like in a sense of that's like kind of what society, you know, has mm-hmm. portrayed of what it looks like, you know, the beauty standards. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of girls in relationships where it's like, you know, well, in general, I feel like men look at that, you know, so I feel like as a culture, like, um, that's what it has become you know a lot of people do makeup because it's like a form of art you know you have makeup artists you have different yeah. there's different you know intents so but I feel like as far as like how you view yourself and um, a lot of girls do do it for um, like get you know stuff done mm-hmm. um, because they just don't like something on themselves because it's kind of what society has painted out as you know when you look this way you're like a dream so therefore it, like it, it roots in insecurity in girls who are um, you know you don't really know who you are in that sense and a lot of girls are very confident and will still do that but like I said it's it's very hard to make such a general statement yeah because me personally, I would think completely different, you know? And um, yeah, it really ju- does just root from the person, you know? Honestly, I would have to agree with you on that because, I mean, not just because I know you, but honestly, yeah, because I know you. You're <laughs> one of the only influencers that I kind of see, like, that doesn't really seek validation from anybody. Like, you do yeah. everything, like, for yourself, and what you do is on your own, and who cares about likes who cares about who's commenting on your pics and that but how do you get to that point like as a woman yeah um i feel like uh you know to get to this point there was obviously so much you know that's happened um a lot of it was like um a lot of it a lot of trauma that i kind of faced was from relationships mm-hmm. um so for a moment i think half of that not caring uh kind of was self destructive at one point um and it was kind of like i didn't know who i was yet and therefore since i've been hurt by somebody or um have kind of given my power to somebody it was kind of like gaining it back in a sense of like all right i don't care about what anybody thinks so i feel like some of it was most of it was unhealthy um but then i kind of hit this point where i wanted change and i wanted something different in life and i and um that's why i am very strong on my faith and i feel like um ever since that had happened like i'm not living my life to you know, please anybody else in a more healthier way. And I feel like that came from spending a lot of time like with myself. Um, you guys know, like I literally went MIA for a long time and yeah. that was hard. I mean, I feel like 
in that three months, it literally was hell. You know, it literally felt like three years. And to completely unplug yourself from everybody and everything, because mentally I just was not good. And you can only go for so long. And the craziest thing is like, I was aware of it too. But having that strength to like make hard decisions was like the hardest part because it's like, it's just your choice away. Everything is choices, you know? So for the longest time, like I sat comfortably, even though I know I was like self-destructing, um, it felt comfortable to me. But if I wanted to reach this point, I started to envision who I could be, you know, like who would I be if I really in a healthy way didn't care about what people had to say about me, not in a way of like, screw you if you don't like me, but in a way of really understanding like, okay, not everyone has to and having that confident in my, that confidence in myself. And I feel like um, a lot of times it's just the way that I view myself as a person and uh, the way that I, you know, try to carry myself now. Um, most importantly, but I feel like it's just, we're all, we all have decisions, you know, we all come from, um, you know, trauma, things that have created us to be who we are now. But I feel like where I really hit that point where I felt healthier is when I started to take a step and give new things, like give things a new try, you know, another, um, cause you can't, you can't live comfortably. And in a sense of like wanting things to change without actually making the effort to change. And um, yeah, it's just, I made a decision and I kind of stood on it. You know, I read a lot of books, you know, I surrounded myself with people that, um, weren't just yes men around me that just kind of agreed and let me slide. Um, I really had to be around people that were like, Hey, you're lacking here. So like, what are you going to do next to get out of it? You mm -hmm. know? So I really think that it was like the company, the atmospheres that I placed myself in, um, older people, wiser people that, um, knew what to tell me and not just agree with me or just kind of you know, leave the situation as it was. So I feel like a lot of it was just being very like selfless in that moment to like actually reach out and get help, you know, when I needed it. And that's yeah, sense. hell yeah. I feel like that's actually like really hard to do. And I see you, you're agreeing like a lot oh, yeah. over there on the side. Like, how hard was that process? Like, how hard is that for somebody to get out of? Uh, answer you have to answer to your own insecurities. You mentioned the word insecurities. That's absolutely the thing that prevents people from moving forward is they're so insecure about what that next step is going to be, how other people are going to receive it. And it's good that you were approaching things from the perspective of not caring what other people thought. It was just a matter of focusing on you, what made you feel whole and complete. And that, that was how she handled it was great. And a, a line that I heard from somebody recently was how y'all feel about me is none of my business. Once, like once you can accept that then you can distance yourself from how other people feel and then just focus on what makes you feel good and if people are cool with you they're gonna stick with you no matter what i feel like that's so fucking hard like like even uh with me i feel like i'm pretty confident but even i know like i still give a fuck about what people say like i wish i didn't as much as like i see some other people but like i don't even know how to I don't even know the next step, like how to do that. Yeah. yeah. I feel like I've tried it and I, you still like, <laughs> I, yeah. think I overthink it. Honestly, I feel like, I mean, you're going to school with this, but as humans, like, why do you think we want validation from people? And like, why, why do you think we care so much? We're tribal people. We need to be accepted. I mean, think about like two, 300 years ago uh, at, when there was no electrical lights and stuff, when things went dark, people would randomly disappear, <laughs> you know, yeah. like people would die just randomly going off somewhere. And a lot of times people who were rejected by the people around them 
ended up having to fend for themselves and deal with whatever was out there in the middle of the night. So it's almost like something that connects with like a primal feeling that we had from, you know, two, three hundred years ago. We need to be accepted so that we can survive, you know, increase our chances of survival. If people like us, we have more people around us to keep us protected. If we're isolated and we're forced out of the group, then there's a higher likelihood just historically thinking back two, three thousands of years to two, three hundred years ago where people needed to have that connection with people at all times. Like they needed to have a good community to protect each other and make sure everybody was safe. Nowadays, everybody's working overnights and working like, and you know, lights exist constantly. And the things that we were afraid of back then are like myths and ghost stories now, you know? So nowadays it's like a lot of the same things that like that same primal feeling is still existing within us because it's something that was almost like an innate need. We have to be accepted by the group. You see it in animals too, where if a, 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 a dog has a crew that it, mm-hmm. it rolls around with, it's going to roll with that crew. Mm-hmm. But if one of the, if that one of those dogs oversteps bounds or something, they reject it, then that one dog is off on their own and their chances of survival go down. So yeah. it's understandable why you have a hard time letting go of that idea of how other people think of you. That feeling is innately tied to like humanity. We've had it from the beginning of time. Do you think there's a difference in between um, like that you've seen between anxiety that women go through and like men? No, anxiety is going to be different for everybody because some people have trauma based anxiety. Some people have anxiety just based off of like, you know, the, the just general anxiety about everything. Some people don't get anxiety until they have kids. Some people don't get anxiety ever. You know, Damn. it's. It manifests differently for everybody. Everybody has different ways of showing it. Some people uh, fidget. Some people uh, skin pick. Some people pull hair. Some people (laughs) I did. I was watching that shit earlier. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. And a lot of what I do when I'm working with people is paying attention to how their body language is, how they're reacting and stuff like that. And also how my body language is. Because if I'm not paying attention to how I'm sitting in the room and if I'm fidgety and stuff, that's going to bleed over to whoever's next to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, literally I'm like this. I'm like, fucking Sam, thanks. <laughs> Shaking the fuck out of my leg. Do, do you feel like now that it's more popularized about like taking care of your mental health, that People kind of like false diagnose themselves with like, let's say, anxiety, depression. Everybody, uh, you go on the internet and WebMD anything, you're going to have every problem in the book. The thing is, if you look at the criteria for diagnoses psychologically, every one of us is going to meet one or two criteria of just about every diagnosis. So we can go ahead and chase like, oh my God, I think I'm bipolar or borderline or whatever or antisocial. Or pregnant. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Only after I eat a lot. (laughs) But that we meet, you have to meet specific amount of criteria. If you don't have all like seven or five of seven of these certain like behaviors, then you're not, then you don't qualify. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody has some behavior that qualifies for some diagnosis, whether it's anxiety, depression, you know, like those are mood disorders, but like even like the, the personality disorders, like, uh, you know, antisocial or stuff like that. Everybody meets some kind of criteria for something. And if we WebMD it, we're going to constantly think that we are 
Psycho. Some kind of crazy. Yeah, and then there goes more fucking more anxiety. anxiety. Exactly. <laughs> so really, for that kind of stuff, leave the diagnosis for the people who are qualified to make it. Just yeah. so you take that take that stress off your shoulders. Yeah. You don't have to worry about that. So for anxiety, and this is kind of goes for like a question for both of you guys. Um, do you guys think like anxiety is something more like of a mindset type thing? Where if if you're over here saying that like you got anxiety and like, you know, you're feeling like this some sort of pressure or how anxiety feels, do you believe like like cause kinda like what she said, like to kind of get rid of like that that anxiety that you were feeling with what people think of you mm -hmm. that you changed and you said, okay, I don't, I don't give a fuck what people think. Yeah. I feel like, um, my thing was, I, it was never really a social anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, mine, cause I mean, I feel like with different things, like I never really got anxious, like in a room full of people or had a hard time with, you know, talking to people. Mm -hmm. But most of my anxiety, like, honestly, I have no clue where it came from. It just literally hit one day. And a lot of times there, I feel like there's levels to it. Like I can get a feeling of anxiety. Um, or I can really, you know, people have panic attacks or there, yeah. was a, there was a time where it would take over my whole body where like, you know, breathe in a bag type beat, you know, because the mind is so like, you know. Yeah. Was this before or like even like during and after you went MIA? Oh, this was like I, I've been dealing with, you know, uh, depression, anxiety since I was like 17. Mm -hmm. And I, it was off of um, I'm now able because of literally years of therapy, I'm now able to kind of pinpoint where it stemmed from for the longest time. I had no clue where it came from. And so you realize that um, a lot of, you know, one little thing, even if it's like your childhood self, you know, you're younger, the inner yeah. kid in you, um, that's where it kind of rooted from. And at the time I'm on medication for it. So, I mean, it definitely helps a lot. But um I'm still in the process of because it's such a thing where I just can't turn it off. But what I can do is uh, find the right coping mechanisms to help me in that moment. So a lot of times I'm um, in therapy and you know, I've been taught, um, you know, the five, the little senses, you know, like what, like the present moment, like what you can see, what you're hearing, you know, like keeping mm. yourself grounded in this moment. A lot of times my anxiety came from, you know, I have feeling something bad's going to happen or like it's always futuristic in that sense. But when I kind of dialed it down to like, OK, I'm here in this moment. So I, like becoming aware of the moment you're in and like, you know, calming yourself down. But anxiety is so tricky because it's not just something that has just this one thing that you do and you're just fine, you know. Yeah. And a lot of people, it comes like it comes a lot stronger. You know, me um, now that I'm able to now that I figured it out over time with having help, professional help. Um, it's something that I, it's never stopped, but it's something that I can control so much more than, um, yeah, just kind of letting it take over in that sense. So do you believe it is like kind of like a mindset thing? Like if you let it take, like overcome you, um, then it makes it a lot worse or. I mean, in a, in a sense, I don't, I don't think that anxieties. well, I think the mindset can definitely play into it and trigger it to go even further than that. Mm -hmm. But. I think that anxiety definitely like comes whether you're in a good mindset or, or not. not. Right. But I think that the way that you're handling it and the way that we can, uh, you know, calm it down in that sense mm -hmm. or distract yourself from that moment can definitely be beneficial. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is that you think the same thing? Nailed it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's therapy. Uh, I'm telling uh, you. <laughs> it's, <laughs> yeah. No, it's the, uh, the getting the right coping mechanisms, uh, grounding techniques. As a therapist, I use them a lot uh, for people who have PTSD and things like that. Uh, and it's good for just anxiety in general, just to keep yourself where you're at and not allow your brain to go too deep into old stuff. 
that's causing anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite grounding technique is I'll gro- uh, take a piece of paper and crumple it up in my hands and then throw it to whoever's in the room with me. Mm-hmm. Because just by doing that, they're reconnecting with me, not with whatever's in their head. I tell them, listen to the sound of the paper. Tell me about the texture of the paper. How does it feel in your hands? What color is it? Mm-hmm. Get, every, get all of the senses right back here in the chair with me so that they're not going down that path. So I, I don't think I've ever really experienced anxiety. Um, so it kind of sounds like anxiety is kind of like you're almost falling away from reality from like how you're kind of describing it with like the five senses and then you thinking about the future and then pulling yourself back into now, like the present moment. Yeah. Like for me, it makes it seem like you guys like anxiety is almost like your, your guys are being taken out of your body. It's making it so that we, uh, the uh, term I like using is, uh, seeing the forest from the tree. Anxiety makes it so that we stand right in front of one tree and we can analyze every single detail about the bark. <laughs> like we, but we can't see the forest around it. You can't see what's happening, like the context that all of that's happening mm. in. So if you take one step back from that tree and you slowly can see what's happening around it and why that tree is there and how, why the anxiety is there, it makes it so you can find a better way of dealing with it. You hold it in context better. A lot of times with anxiety, you just get stuck in that one thing. Yeah. And you hyperanalyze that one thing and you start spiraling downward with it. And one thing that I've noticed, and tell me breathing is one of your coping mechanisms. Yeah. Uh, Deep breathing exercises, from what I've noticed, are directly connected with anxiety. When when our anxiety is raging, we are barely breathing. We are doing like survival level breathing, like all of you are barely like barely getting any air and oxygen going in. And we rarely take the time to slow things down be mindful, take our time, allowing ourselves a minute. You know, a lot of times we're rushed to respond and be witty or funny or, and I, I, unless you're in the military and somebody says you have to move now or you're going to die, everybody else can take a minute. Everybody else can take a second to just slow things down. Think to yourself, I've never seen too many people make good decisions when they're anxious. Mm -hmm. So what we have to do sometimes is to allow ourselves the space, take a minute breathe slow down the thought process a little bit the anxiety the thing that's causing the anxiety isn't necessarily going to disappear but how we address it changes how our body reacts to it changes i mean whenever we're anxious i don't know if you ever get the burning in your chest Mm -hmm. oh yeah. yeah yeah that burning in the chest a lot of times that comes from when we're not taking deep breaths and those muscles in between the ribs aren't stretching and expanding. Yeah. So they're almost like cramping. So actually that, something, like you can't yeah. breathe. Yeah, so you it's almost like you're cramping that? up those mm-hmm. muscles. So that's crazy. Taking <laughs> deep breaths every once in a while loosens things up, makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah. Have you ever gone through that? Me? Yeah. Yeah. Do you felt that before? I've, I've got, felt that before I've too. I felt really, really anxious like about a couple of things and like, it's just it's like that like you just have to bring yourself down and kind of just like i i always it get it fucking yeah. burn it, burns. <laughs> yeah. it does it, it does it'll oh, yeah. feel like a little like a little yeah. burn a little bit yeah okay. do uh, the breathing exercise i do if anybody ever wants to do it if you're feeling anxiety it works uh it, it I does call, work i call it a six second breath in through the nose for two seconds hold it for about one second exhale through your mouth like you're blowing through a straw for three mm-hmm. seconds do that 10 times that's 60 seconds one minute I feel like I've only um, ever had anxiety like at night, like yeah. right when I'm about to sleep. I'd be so thinking like, about like death and shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm damn, thinking. like, like sometimes like because I believe in God, mm-hmm. so like I'll start like doubting God. Like, damn, like, do we really go to heaven when we die? But then what brings me out of that is I'm like, okay, like, nah, I, I believe in God. I trust Him, and then I I breathe. Like I, yeah. Right. I think a uh, a lot of that too. Um, what was I going with it? 
um oh yeah one of the things that i learned in therapy was is that um there's like your your mind is always like jumping to the next thought and when you pay attention to one thought it can just like it really just prolongs it and then you're over here thinking the worst about everything but one thing that like i use all the time is actually like separating what i'm thinking versus like what's factual and like in the moment right now because a lot of things that i worry about it's like future tripping over things that haven't even happened yet and then i'm like putting myself through it twice you know yeah um so it's like do i feel like something bad's gonna happen okay even if you know it was in this moment right now i'm fine you know like basically separating the facts from what you're worried about, mm -hmm. you know, to not go through it twice. And what you were saying, I wanted to bring it back because I think that was a really valid point when you were saying, I've always tried to not care about what people, you know, say, but in the end of the day, I always do. And I feel like that's something that's, it's a given. It's going to happen all the time because like you said, like we are naturally, you know, we, we naturally want that approval. But um, one of my good friends told me that it's like, um, it's not really about not caring about what people say. It's just choosing what you let affect you in that sense. So for me, um, the reason why I don't care about what is said behind a screen, because I have so much more. It'll affect me a lot more if it comes from somebody that knows me personally um, than it would based off of somebody that has that doesn't know me and doesn't know my character. Yeah. Um, I just pick and choose whose opinion is valid to me, you know, so. And in a sense, it's like you will never have that. Like everything will always like affect you. But it just it it's how you handle the way that affects you, you know, and obviously off the jump, it's going to. But then, you know, realizing that it's like, OK, who is it coming from? You kind of have to pick who's going to matter, you know, like whose words matter to you in that sense. Yeah, that's true. A lot of times I just deal with all that bullshit with just like <laughs> la with just laughing at it for like all the comments and stuff like that. I just kind of laugh at it and stuff. But. Um, <clears throat> I think before, wait, do you have anything else? Do you have any more questions? About anxiety? Or just like anything, you know, on that topic? Um, since we're kind of on the topic of like mental health and you said that you've, um, gone through depression or yeah. you're still on it. Yeah. Or not, you're not still on it, but <laughs> no, you're still you depressed. <laughs> that, oh, gosh, <laughs> damn. That's like, no, 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 it's okay. I wanted, I wanted to like kind of ask, and then how familiar are you with, uh, depression? That's, uh, keeps me employed okay. <laughs> so you kind of like it i don't like it i just i like my my biggest goal every time is to make sure i don't see them anymore yeah you know <laughs> like yeah. that's ultimately the goal is to make sure that they're okay and can take care of their own stuff depression keeps me in business i don't like it i know nah, nah. <laughs> but i wanted to ask kind of like the it's like the question similar to anxiety um because i kind of feel like depression's it's it's something where it could be combated with the right mindset and not letting it overcome you. But I want to know like how somebody that has, you know, actually had it and somebody that actually studied it. Yeah. How, well, how correct or how incorrect is that statement? Mindset helps if you're not used to it. Uh, brain chemistry will lock in on a feeling and it's hard to shake it off if you're stuck in that hole deep for mm -hmm. long enough. Mm -hmm. If you're in a good place and like, there's like people who are in a good place who aren't feeling any symptoms of depression. If say somebody close to them passes away, they'll be sad for the, you know, a decent amount of time, but then mm -hmm. they'll slowly to have, take the right steps to move forward. Mm -hmm. And for people who are depressed, they can't let go of those things. Their brain is locked in. Can't like brain chemistry will ultimately adjust to where you're at. And if you're already way depressed, then your brain chemistry is going to just adjust to where you're at. And then anything that feels good, will start to feel like I don't trust it. Mm -hmm. So 
it's hard to pull yourself out when you're that when you're in the hole for that long. Now, ways that it's not like impossible to get out. You can get out. It's just involves therapy, sometimes medication, and a lot of building the right habits to deal with that depression once it does come up. Because like, for example, we were talking about anxiety, great technique to use is deep breathing exercises. There's going to be ways that each individual can come up with something that makes them feel good for that moment. Yeah. And just to change the energy of how they're feeling. Because uh, people, a lot of times, whenever they're stuck and they're feeling depressed, they are going to stay where they're at. Mm -hmm. They're going to, you know, because they don't want anything else to happen to make, maybe make them more sad. But being comfortable in a, in a, in a place where they feel like they're safe. Mm -hmm is always going to be preferable to them being uncomfortable and potentially feel better because it's they don't know what's on the other side. And a lot of times brain chemistry will make it so that, you know what, I always tell people that depression isn't you. It's the person that's riding shotgun with you. It's sitting next to you telling you, you know what, you don't want to get up. You don't want to go anywhere. Just stay here with me. It's safe here. You can play a video game. Let's order some food and chill. You know, it's saying stuff that's comforting. But it's not saying anything that's constructive. It's not saying anything to help get you out of that situation. It doesn't want to leave you. Depression wants to stay with you. It wants to chill. So it's going to whisper all the sweet nothings in your ear telling you that this is, you know, this feels good. Don't worry. Don't worry about making friends. You don't need them. You got me. We're sitting right here and we're not, you're safe here. Nothing bad's going to happen to you here. Depression's right. It is probably safe. It's also misery. And unhealthy. Yeah. yeah it's like. At some point, like people are like, oh, I slept all day and it was great. If you have a very good social life, then every once in a while you need that rest. Mm -hmm. But if somebody who's depressed doesn't spend any time out, doesn't go to work, and it's like, I slept all day, that sleep is destructive. Mm -hmm. You got to get up. You got to move. Yeah. yeah. So how hard do you think it is to like, once you're kind of in that depressive state, to pull yourself out? Because just listening to this, I feel like it, like it, all it would take is just like, you can't like just get up and do it hell no so how hard is it i definitely yeah go ahead yeah, it's not. sorry honestly from like like i i used to deal with like depressive episodes very often mm -hmm. um and it literally like i it's so tunnel vision in that moment and with the way that you feel it's like i would think about the next day and i'll think of forever and i'm like there's no way like when you're like when you're in that state like especially i mean the littlest things are like your biggest accomplishments that's how i had to start getting myself out and being able to recognize when it would come because you will literally be like like you said there forever and for the longest time like i wanted nothing to do with outside i wanted nothing to do with like the outside world the way that it feels is like you're like grieving somebody that like never even died like it's like a, like you feel that in your body and all you want to do is just stay there and you don't want to go out, you know, you don't want to, you just, you just don't even want to exist basically. And like, mm -hmm. it's just the, and then on top of that, it's like when you're already in that state, you know, um, I've been transparent with you guys before, but you know, there was a time where I wanted to just cut it completely. Like I, I tried to take my own life and, um, I resorted to, to, um, an overdose, which is what got me into therapy to get help. But that's like being in that state is so scary. You know, especially for the people around you, because it's like no nothing that anybody can say is going to take me out of the way that I'm feeling right now. And it felt like there's just no solution to anything, which is why it's like there's a feeling of sadness. And I know what that is, but it's so completely different from 
being in an actual depressive state where it's like the regular things that people get up and do every day, you're not doing it. There's days that I'm like, I'm not showering. I'm not brushing my teeth. I'm not getting ready. I'm in the same clothes for like five days because there's no will to live in life, you know? So being in that state obviously has, um, you know, it, 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 you just go down this really dark place when, like you said, like you just don't have the energy. And it's like, I wanted to, you know, I always, I always wanted to, uh, snap out of it and just kind of want to get up and go out. But it's like, even doing the bare minimum of, you know, what everybody does daily, regularly, it became so hard for me. Um, but it just came like everything in life was dull, you know, like nothing was exciting, like nothing's exciting anymore. Um, there's like no reason everybody that is in my life, it's like, there's just, you, you, you become so isolated that it's like, there's just no really connection there. Like nothing's just worth it. Mm -hmm. And to be in that state of mind is, is very dangerous. And I feel like, um, you know, after that whole situation happened, you know, I've been in group homes, I've been in 5150s, you know, and even in there, it's like, it's even worse, you know, it's literal hell because mm -hmm. even being in that, uh, in that environment, it's like, when I was, when I had, I was in a 5150 during um, Christmas time of, I think when I was like 18. For the people that don't know what a 5150 is, oh, it's, uh, it's, what is it? It's a psych ward, right? Like, it's that's involuntary a, committee. Yeah. Uh, when so somebody like, uh, against their will has to be uh, hospitalized. Right. We're going to take a quick break from this podcast and we're going to have a word from our sponsor here at Manscaped. Uh, but it's not about your balls this time. It's it's really not, it's unless not they're about, located on your face. It's not about the coochie this time. It's really not, unless it's located on your face. So I don't have to use the one that's for the coochie on my fucking mustache anymore because they got a new beard hedger. Yep, the beard hedger pro kit is something that's pretty crazy. They uh, sent all of us one, and I have been using it because I have been needing a fucking a razor for the face. It's clean, too. And, and it comes with... The beard, beard shampoo, shampoo and the beard, beard conditioner. conditioner and beard oil. And it comes with like a nice little like comb. Yeah, because if you think about it, you got a beard and you're eating and shit. Food is going to get stuck right there that's and your beard's going to smell like ass. Yeah, that's why Danny really needed this one because, you know, that fool be eating a lot and he be playing basketball. And you know that he for sure doesn't do that to his fucking He doesn't, he doesn't. Beard. And you need to put that beard oil as well because you don't want that little... You want to hydrate it and patchy, stuff. Patchy, fucking brittle ass beard, and you can see right through it and shit. You might as well fucking get a full one. Also, too, it comes with like different size clippers, so that if you want, you could give yourself like mm. a five or six on here. It's pretty crazy. On top of that, Valentine's Day is coming up, ladies. This is one of the best gifts that you could get your man. I guarantee that he will love it, even if he doesn't have a beard. He, he I love could, it. He could grow one out, and he'll be like, damn. I really love this, and I'm so happy that you got it for me. The Beard Hedger Pro Kit also comes with three fury gifts a beard brush a comb and some scissors oh yeah it does come with all that it so does. the little brush is and dope. then guys if you're watching this women love a nice clean beard they don't oh, want they none do. of that patchy shit they don't want none of that <laughs> overgrown shit like i'm telling you guys right now clean. a beard like pff, could change your whole fucking look it, yeah it will be amazing you can go from a fucking four to an eight mm -hmm. you could almost double it yeah. So get 20% off and free shipping with code SWEET at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code SWEET. Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. That's insane. Now Back to the rest of this podcast. Yep. Oh, yeah. I was underage, which is why I had to go. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was there, it was kind of like uh, I was already good at masking the way that I felt. I felt like a lot of times people or my family, especially like nobody... I never wanted to reach out because I don't want to be a burden to everybody else. You know, that's what I was thinking in my head. It was like, I'm not going to reach out 
and I'm not gonna because I have nothing to be sad for. Like I have a perfect family, which is why I was like, like I had a, I had it good, you know, mm-hmm. like nothing. Like there was situations that happened, but it kind of felt like it just happened out of nowhere, and I just didn't want to be a burden on the people around me. So since I was always so good at handling things, um, I feel like inside I was going crazy. But the way that I was like living life, it was like she's got it, she's chilling, you know, it's Sam, nothing really ever bothers her, you know, nothing like affects her, but. So when that had happened, it was just like, like, you've never like showed signs of this at all, which is how it's even more scary is because there's people that you engage with all the time that are like on the brink of like wanting to take their own life. But you just can't tell that you will have no and, idea whatsoever. Right. And you just get so used to it, to masking things. So when I was in the 5150, you have to comply with, you know, the activities they do during the day <laughs> and you got to work your way out. And. I thought I was going to be there for three days. And then I meet people in there and like, oh, I've been here for three months. I've been here for like six months. And I'm like, there's no way like that. This is like, I I cannot like there was literally I was in there on Christmas Eve watching TV in there. And it was just like even more of a sense of like they have cameras so they could see like, oh, you're laying in bed like you look sad. still. we're keeping you in here. So now it was almost like I had to put on this mask because I'm trying to get out of here. So like just all of it in general, it's like. I think we're so used to masking it because to reach out for help, like the phone feels like a thousand pounds. Like that is the last thing you want to do. Like, and you just want to be by yourself all the time. So it wasn't until like I was able to get real help and I hated it. I hated every moment of it, but I was underage. So I had to by law, you know, they're not going to send me home knowing that I'm in that state. So um, it wasn't until, you know, I went to therapy and started to realize, okay, if I'm here, I'm going to make it work because if i'm gonna have to deal with this for the long run like i need to know the healthy ways to handle it to go about it so yeah so what are like oh did you have something yeah but you go go ahead i'll go after like she said like a lot of people are really good at masking it what are like if they are really good at masking it is there anything that you could like tell like any red flags that you could tell in a friend or of distancing themselves usually isolating not wanting to spend as much time uh not having the same interests like the stuff that usually makes them feel good they're just not doing those are the basic things that you can notice but if somebody's masking it they're just and they're not telling anybody and they're really feeling to that level of sadness to where they're feeling suicidal people will just do it without telling anybody if there there are people out there that are like I'm the ones that are saying something about it are the ones that are they don't want to do it, but they know something is wrong and they're screaming for somebody to help, you know, and if masking it and the idea you mentioned feeling like you were a burden to other people. And if you had like any one of your friends was feeling that way, would they be a burden to you? And that's how we have to approach it is like our friends, our family, they're there specifically for these reasons. Mm -hmm. That's why we need to reach out to them because when they see us feeling upset and we're trying our best to put on a good face because we don't want to be a burden to anybody else at the same time this is why we have friends this is why we have family we are not a burden to them and we have to be able to we be willing to reach out especially if we need that help hey i'm feeling a little bit off today you guys want to hang out you know, because if we isolate, then all we're going to be trapped with is our own thoughts that have already gotten us to that point of self-destruction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you how do you like let's say you reach out and they're still like, I'm not doing it. I'm not getting up. Yeah. Like, what do you do? 
therapy. Uh, like that's the red flag. Like right there when you yourself are now I'm feeling distressed by me not getting up and doing something. That's the cue. We got to get up. Like whatever it is, talk to somebody. I don't care if it's a friend, a doctor, a stranger on the street, whoever it is. Get up and do something because if we're stuck in that hole, we will stay there. Mm-hmm. And it is a lot of it has to do with getting up and like forcing ourselves to do stuff that feels really uncomfortable. And people are afraid of a lot of times like it's not even just like, you know, nowadays the stigma around mental health is starting to dwindle and it's not as bad. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people yeah. out there who and depending on what uh, lifestyle you come from, say if you're military, then that uh, a lot of people in the military demonize uh, mental health saying there's something weak about you for going and getting it. And that mindset has to change. Like we have to be willing to accept that sometimes problems are bigger than us. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong or weak with us. We just need somebody around to give us, Hey, you know what? You might be missing this. You might not be seeing how much strength it takes to get up out of bed every day. That alone is worth celebrating for mm-hmm. some people. I'm working with a guy who was stuck in bed for three months because he was had so much anxiety and he was doing, it got so overwhelming that he wasn't doing anything. So depression kicked in, Damn. you know? So he had anxiety and he was depressed about it. Mm-hmm. And the, for us, just a celebration for us was sitting there saying, you know what? We just got you to spend an entire day on the couch. That's, that's yeah. a positive wow. step. Like a change of location. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. really, all you, sometimes that bed is the most comfortable place, but that place is the most destructive place <laughs> yeah, you could yeah. be in. So we got to get him up, get him moving. Like I had him do like just stretches inside yeah. of his house, <laughs> yoga, whatever I could get him, coax him into doing, walk in place, anything that got his body moving just so that he wasn't stuck. That alone, just getting him on the couch, put him back in touch with his wife and his kid who he hadn't been talking to in three months. He's been stuck in bed, terrified, mm-hmm. having anxiety, and now being sad about it. Now he's up and moving around a little bit more. And that's yeah. one step in the journey towards getting where he wants to be. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I kind of feel, not that I feel, but I know a lot of people self-medicate, right? Oh, yeah. And the pharmacists, the doctors will give you prescriptions to take drugs. Or people resort to alcohol and stuff like that. Yeah. Why, why do you think that started? Like, what, what does that come from? Or do you think it's like kind of like the doctor's fault for having people go towards medication it's or medication? To great question. That's a very good question. It, it depends. Some people, I mean, the medication's necessary for a lot of people, you know? Uh, and yeah, there are side effects with it that sometimes are unfortunate, but there's sometimes necessary because the without it the side what you have is a lot worse the problem is that people went towards self-medicating and going towards medication because sometimes feelings are too overwhelming uh we and it feels good to get high it it feels good to get drunk Mm -hmm. it's just the ripple effect of it afterwards if it's causing problems if it's making it so that you pursue that over your friends and family or if you notice that if you're a very belligerent drinker, for example, yeah. then prob- if, it, if the solutions that you're going to is causing more problems, then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And there's other ways that you can handle it. Sometimes people will go on medication temporarily to, for uh, depression or anxiety. And some people need to have some kind of medication in their system for the rest of their life because mm-hmm. brain chemistry is different for everybody. Mm-hmm. Some people... Uh, brain chemistry of somebody who is schizophrenic is significantly different than someone who is just depressed. Mm -hmm. 
Do you know anything about ashwagandha? Uh, the the herbal plant. Yeah, yeah. I haven't taken it. I know a lot about the herbal stuff, the uh, holistic meta, uh, the holistic, uh, the substances, uh, holistic substances. Uh, but and some of them, I very much I'm interested in seeing more research into. The problem is, if they're illegal, then people who are the researchers can't are going to be restricted in their ability to actually research it. Yeah. But uh, stuff like shrooms, I've been hearing have been in you know controlled doses and controlled settings stuff like that has shown to have some significant impact on stuff like depression bipolar stuff like that now i also i don't know cuz i yeah, need to i of, need more research mm -hmm. on that for me to be able to say authoritatively yeah. this is what's going to be right cuz i i'm not going to say <laughs> one way or the other that somebody needs to go and like start uh <laughs> Pop and shrooms. Stop, stop psilocybin or like, you know, like this. doing yeah. some, uh, what was it, uh, ashwagandha that you were talking about or uh, whatever. Else. Or, yeah, or ayahuasca. Is that Ayahuas what ayahuasca, uh, oh, peyote was, was one of the other ones. Damn. Peyote was the like earlier one where everybody eats it, throws up, and then they go on a spiritual journey. <laughs> That's crazy. So, okay. So obviously weed has been around for a long time. And a lot more people are starting to use weed or smoke weed, and it's normalized now, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. What do you feel? Like, how do you feel about weed? It's uh, just like anything else. If you, uh, in controllable settings, if you feel comfortable, the times that where it's wrong or if it doesn't work for people is they're, if they're noticing they're getting more panicky or if they're not feeling good about it. Now, let's, yeah. let's say you're smoking weed every day, mm -hmm. and you're just like, you have to use it to eat. You have to use it to go out with friends. You have to use it to Doesn't that just sound be like here. a sign of something bigger going on? So do you think like <laughs> so, if somebody's doing that, do you think like there's actually something wrong? I would yes. think that uh, not just, I wouldn't say necessarily something wrong. It just may be what they're used to doing. But at the same time, it's, it's masking something. It's covering up the, like, I, it's easier for me to smoke this joint than to solve this problem. So whatever it is, it may be working for you and it may not, it, the l amount of destruction it causes may be very limited, yeah. but at the end of the day, you're not solving the issue. You're just smoking through it. You're, you're delaying it. You're putting it Excellent. on the back burner. And if you're smoking constantly every day, then you could have issues that are 20 years old that never got addressed because you're like, the second you start feeling any kind of like tension from that thought, you're like, <sighs> <laughs> what were we just talking about <laughs> like that's like it, it makes it so that we either are more willing to just uh, like ignore or accept personal red flags yeah, yeah. oh yeah i was gonna say you're like agreeing with him like heavily with what he was saying what is like your input on that it's because so um i i don't know if i was really i don't know if it was as bad as when i first met you guys but I used to smoke 24-7, like, all the time. And also, um, I realized, like, back then, um, like you said, yeah, you're definitely, like, the way that I was feeling, it was definitely to escape the moment, you know, especially dealing with mental health and being sad all the time. It was like, I know if I smoke this right now, I'm going to be chilling, you know? Like, yeah. it was always like, I'll cry about something and then I'll be smoking and I'm like, okay, but it's chilling now, you know? But like you said, it's such a temporary fix, right? Because it's like, we want to escape the moment, but then the second that it dies down, it's like, there you go again. And it became like this never ending. Like, I had a smoke before I hung out with friends. I just, I would, 
literally any excuse, I'm doing it. The first thing in the morning, it's like how how was I wasn't even thinking like to the you know, I wasn't thinking straight basically. And it came to a point where um I knew I had a problem when like I needed it all the time. But at but so many times I would kind of sit there and a lot of times I'm not speaking generally just because I know a lot of people that can handle it in a way that I couldn't. But me personally, um, I would always kind of say that, you know, well, I'm so productive. I was productive the first hour and then I would just knock out before doing anything else. Um, it's in, in social situations, like I just went mute, you know, and like I just realized how much it started to affect me. It was like I I wasn't lazy in the moment, but right after it's like I'm not doing anything the rest of the day. You know, you have so many. And then I started getting creative and I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. The second it wore off, like I'm asleep, you know, like it just created this very unhealthy pattern for me to where, like you said, I couldn't even eat, you know, unless I smoked first. There was a regular eating, you know, patterns. And then um, so it just it really I think, like you said, it just came down to like mentally. I know a lot of people actually handle it differently to where there's a lot of benefits. And it did benefit me for a minute, but it was like too good, too, too much of something is not always a good thing. Um, But I also realized even how it like with mental health, it was like when I didn't have it, then I just felt everything all at once. So it just became this never ending chase to like escape the moment all the time. And um, yeah, I, I just, at least for me personally, I kind of realized like I had like why like I, I I forgot what it felt like to be sober. You know, it was always I'm always so baked and but like the problems literally never went away. You know, what does that feel like to feel like I can't eat? Like for me on the outside, I'm like, so pick up the fork, right, yeah. and like eat. <laughs> just dude. start fucking eating. Like you don't <laughs> need to be no. Like I sometimes I'm getting frustrated. I'm like, bro, just fucking eat. Yeah, like, I mean it's different. Like I mean right after you know you're like grubbing on anything, right? But like that would make perfect sense that like when you're baked then all you want to do is like totally maul everything around you and then when you don't have it anymore it's like i don't feel that way anymore so it's like my stomach like hurts like in that sense it like it it hurt to even like want to eat in that sense like you just felt sick before even eating so it's not like you just didn't have the desire to want to eat and then once you smoke it's like okay now i'm down you know and then after like how you were saying like the substance use in general um, even after when I stopped smoking, I still was lacking something, you know, whether it was in my heart, whatever I felt like. So there I went with drinking, you know, and like you said, like there really did become a point where I started to have real issues. I started to realize people can have a drink or two and it's fun. That's like it's a very yeah. social thing. For me, I was a closet drinker, so nobody really knew I had issues. And I kind of masked it all the time, you know, and I would always kind of play it off like, oh, yeah, like, you know, just trying to get lit before everything. But it's like, dude, like are you okay? You know, like dead ass, like in the morning, like drinking by yourself, like that's like, you know, like it's supposed to be a social thing, but it wasn't until I sat there and I was like, people do this to have fun, but I do this. And then it's like, my social anxiety gets taken away. Like I'm at a peak, you know, life is good. I'm having fun. And then it's like, all right, well, I took away your social anxiety here. So I'm gonna give it back to you tomorrow morning when you wake up. And then other people don't have a hangover. You know, they just, it's the next day for me. I'm like in bed for like four days, like the come down, especially with like so many thoughts. Mm-hmm. And like I didn't ever know it was a thing, but it makes sense because in that moment, you know, like I wasn't feeling anything. But like the come down, like is literally major depression off that moment. You're like peaked and then you come down off it. It's like, 
like I'm just down bad. Oh yeah. No, yeah. and I've I've worked with people who have had exactly the same issue and I mean everybody goes through their process of experimenting with whatever they want and seeing what their boundaries with alcohol and everything is. But everybody that I've worked with and me personally, the it's the bounce back. It's it, like that feeling that you have after a long night of drinking where you physically feel like garbage, you have the headache and everything and you just feel awful. Like I, I'll, I'll work with people and we'll make great steps throughout the week and everything. And then they'll go and they'll drink to excess. And then the next day they go right back to where they were feeling just as depressed. And the problem at the end of the day was drinking for them mm -hmm. because it was, it was the thing that they did to mask a lot of the depression. And in the moment when you're drinking, you forget all about that stuff. But then the next day it doubles up on you. And then it takes a few days to slowly recover from that. And then you slowly feel good by doing all the good habits. Mm -hmm. And then you go out drinking again too much. And then right back to where you were from the beginning. Literally square one. Yeah. Like, Is that uh, like exactly? Oh, exactly that. And that's why all of these like things that I'm talking about now, you know, it's I've, I've come, you know, a long way in that how to get healthier. I felt like I was so tired of just hitting the wall, making progress, hitting the wall. And then it just came to a point where, after, you know, knowing and learning so much about how, you know, different things start to affect you. It started to affect me is when I started to, you know, really make the change. But it was like day by day, which is why now, like, I don't drink as much or like I really pick and choose. <laughs> okay, okay. But she to be honest. absolutely to wasted. Be, no, <laughs> no, no, no. But to be honest, I feel like just as of like um, lately, you know, like when I kind of went MIA and I stopped drinking for, you know, three months, that's a long time. I feel like just not even drinking for like a weekend, like that, like had me on like I, the progress. Amazing. You know, and I had a lot of people, like you said, I had such a great support system. I would not have made it out if it wasn't for the people that were around me in that moment that were praying on my behalf, you know, checking in on me daily. Um, I just had such a strong support system. Now it's like I can now I can go out. And I can have a few and I'm fine. I'm not drinking to mask things anymore. And that's something that I told myself, I'm not picking up another drink if I'm going to mask the way that I feel because I'm too, because I don't have the strength right now to face my issue. So it's like, it wasn't until I had this and I'll, and it's, and it's an everyday thing. I'm going to have to keep growing and keep figuring it out. And there's been plenty of times where I fell, you know, and then overdid it a little much. But the next morning I wake up, it's like, I have to get myself into this state of mind where it's like, you know, it, it's a new day though. You know, so it's like now I, you know, it's I'm not dealing with the same with the same self in that moment, you know, very self-destructive um, because I feel like, you know, after learning how to handle things, it's like I just feel like there was like an immense amount of growth. So now it's like I'm not doing it for the wrong reasons in that sense. And it is very controlled versus back then when it was like every day it had to be something to get it through, you know? I really hope that you guys enjoyed this podcast. This is only part one of a part two series. It's not, it's not really a series. It's just we did a really long podcast, yeah, to be honest. It's super long. So to make you guys sit here throughout the whole time, I don't think you guys want to do that shit. Yeah, so this is part one. Part two, um, we want to drop it on Wednesday, but drop it down in the comments if you guys would like to see that. Um, if not, then we're probably just never going to release it. It's just going to get deleted and you guys will never ever see it. That is true. Either that or we'll post it in a couple of weeks. But if you guys really want it and we're seeing a lot of engagement, then we'll we'll rush it for Wednesday because I think it's a really – the second part is really fucking yeah, good too. Yeah, and it's, and it's different from what we talked about in this podcast. Exactly. Whole different conversation. The, the whole first part of this conversation wasn't even planned. Mm -mm, it wasn't. We 
it, what ended up happening was we were talking to Sam and we we're like, what's new with you? He's like, oh, I'm going to school to for a PhD, blah, blah, blah. And then he said something about anxiety. And then from there, we it just, just it's a, a snowball it, effect. Exactly. So make sure also mm-hmm. hit that subscribe button if you're not already subscribed. And the like button. And tell your motherfucking grandma, tell your grandpa, take their phone, hit subscribe on their shit. Because we're trying to get to 200K. By the Love end of guys. the year. Yeah. By the end of the year. Hope so. you guys enjoy this podcast.